If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Revelation. And tonight we are going to be on chapter 11. So Revelation chapter 11, I'm going to be looking at verse, uh, well actually verses 6 through 19 is where we'll be tonight. It's, it's, uh, we'll finish out the chapter, Lord willing. Um, so chapter 11 verses 16 through 19 is where we'll find ourselves. Um, Revelation eleven sixteen through 19. And um, so when you have found that place, if you're physically able to do so, let me invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 16, going through verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. And the four and twenty elders which sat, upon, uh, that sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and which were and which are to come, because you have taken uh, to you your great, by your great power and have reigned, and the nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, and they should, that they should be judged, and that you should give reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word tonight. Uh, thank you for a blessed day, a beautiful day you've given to us. And uh, God, uh, uh, just a, a wonderful Lord's Day to be together. And so now we pray that you would guide us and direct us in our, uh, in our, um, uh, in, in, in our time in the word. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we have seen a lot in Revelation chapter 11, haven't we? Um, there's, there's been a lot of things going on. Um, we've seen everything from uh, the, the measuring of the, the temple to um, in, uh, in verses uh, one, uh, 1 and following. And then we've seen the two witnesses. We've seen uh, their testimony, their, their martyrdom. We've seen them... Uh, um, um, bringing, being brought back to back to life, we've seen um, the the nations of the world rejoicing over the death of of God's two servants, and we have seen a tenth of Jerusalem falling. Uh, around seven thousand people have were you know were were killed, um, and um, we we saw a, a remnant of God's people. And now what we're seeing is we are seeing uh, God exercising, in verse 15, his rightful rule over the entire world. Um, and so we also have the conclusion of, if, if you've not been paying attention, you can miss it very quickly, um, the third and final woe. The first woe occurred in Revelation 9, 1 through 11. The second woe occurred in Revelation 9, 13 through 21. And the final woe now occurs at this point in Revelation 11, 15 through 19. And ultimately, this is signifying the, with the conclusion of the woe, um, it, it brings about the, the, tide, the entire victory of Jesus as the Messiah in the world and among the nations. And so I want us to consider um, from verse flowing from verse 15 through into verse 16 through, through the rest of the chapter, how exactly um, this, this victory uh, flows, flows out or the ways that, that it, it, it occurs. So in verse, uh, in, in the, 
the, in verse 15, we have, uh, and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time since I, since I preached on this verse alone last week, but I do want to just, just mention it in passing. So we see the decree that's given from heaven in the final trumpet in verse 15. And of course, in that we have, uh, as I said last week, the sounding forth or the, the, the sounding out of the victory of God over the nations, the announcement the dec- of the decree of God that he has, in fact, uh, triumphed, that Christ has triumphed. Um, the, 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 the trumpets uh, have, uh, the final trumpet has blasted and it was a blast of victory. Um, there's no secret, there's no, there's, the effects are worldwide in what's happening. And then ultimately the, the message that was given to us, uh, uh, to the world and to the nations was that uh, the kingdoms of the, na- the kingdom of this, of this world have now become the kingdom of our, of our God and our Savior and of His Christ, right? And as a result then, it was a, it, it's, it's an ongoing kingdom. It's a kingdom that shall reign forever and ever, he says at the end of verse 15. And because of that, we, we can rejoice because Jesus is the one from whom all the victory flows. Jesus is the one who, who accomplishes the victory. Jesus is the one who works out the victory. Jesus is the one who completes the victory in every sense of that word. He is the one who reigns then also as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And truthfully, verse 15, as I said last week, is the fulfillment of the disciples' prayer. Chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 15 is what we are to be praying for until that time, which is found in Matthew 6.10, right? Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see this, this, this final promise fulfilled, or this final petition fulfilled in the, in, the, in, the, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the overthrow of the nations, in the overthrow of the world, and Christ ruling and reigning. Now, In verses 16 through 19, then, we not only have the decree of heaven, but as a result of this decree, there's praise that is now ushering forward in verses 16 through 19. As a result of this this decree, praise now comes from heaven itself. And it's interesting. In verse 16, that's exactly what it says, isn't it? It says, and after this announcement, right, um, after the seventh angel sounded and the, the announcement was proclaimed, in verse 16, the immediate response is immediate worship. It is worship. And what is, what is, this, what is this praise? Well, it is interesting that, the, that, that earth isn't rejoicing at this point, though the nation, because the nations hate God, as we'll see in just a minute, uh, as, as, as the uh, 24 elders and, and all of heaven resound in their songs, in their psalm here, but, they, but this rejoicing is taking place in heaven, uh, among those who are in heaven, among the saints and the angels, among the 24 elders and the four beasts and, and the, whole, the whole lotment of heaven itself. The cherubim and the seraphim and, and the, whole, the whole lot are rejoicing in, and they are rejoicing that God has fulfilled his promise. It is interesting that we see the, these 24 elders earlier. And we say, well, well, okay, I sort of remember them. Well, let's go back and let's, let me show you where they were. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 4, um, you'll, find, you'll find this. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Um, and so these, 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 these 
24 elders have already um, been um, have already been introduced to us and and I don't know if you remember not that you should right because everything I say isn't so profound that you should remember it um, but uh, if you remember these 24 elders are the full complement of the the elect throughout history that is the the 12 tribes the 12 the 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 12 heads of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles and so they are the full complement of the elect throughout the history of the world that of of God's working and so the 12 the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles joined together as the 24 elders I know some see this as angels I think there are a great many reasons to reject that and just simply see these as um, as those who are um, as those who are in fact uh, the, these representatives of of the of the elect throughout the ages ages the church and so I, I think there there's a great many particularly in, uh, nonetheless uh, uh, probably one of the reasons to see this as the apostles and the the, the twelve tribes is uh, if you remember the sons of of Zebedee ask Jesus let us sit at your right hand and he says. That's something that only the Father can grant to you. And this is what they were referencing. Um, this is what they were referencing. And so this would have been, um, the, the, the prince would have sat in the center, the, the, the king would have sat in the center, and then around them, in a sem- behind and around them in a semicircle would, would be these, these 24 elders. And that's what's being pictured here is there is a, um, <clears throat> representatives from the elective throughout all ages, the church of Jesus Christ being represented by the 12 tribes, the 12 heads of the tribes, and then the 12 apostles. So, we are we are rejoicing over, or the, the, they are rejoicing over, and and notice notice what notice what it says about them here in Revelation eleven, in Revelation eleven sixteen it says, and the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces. So they were sitting, right? They they were sitting. Uh, but now we find that they are now falling prostrate upon the ground in worship. They, they're not just sitting there, I mean, um, you know, um, representing their, uh, um, their, 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 um, their position and status, but now all of that has been uh, thrown out and they are now falling down upon the ground before um, the king, and they are worshiping them, prost- fully prostrate on the ground. You know, a lot of times you'll see things, you know, people bowing uh, on TV and, you know, with sort of, uh, in a, you know, with their knees underneath them and then their, their faces down. But that, that's not the idea here. The idea is that they are completely prone on the ground uh, before, before the king of heaven, and they are singing their song. They are singing the song with all of the, uh, the, the, the saints and the angels of heaven. And they worship. In other words, they paid homage or reverence to God. They rightly saw him. They, they rightly um, uh, reverenced him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who alone is worthy of worship. And this would have been a, a wonderful... Now, this wouldn't have been... This wouldn't have been just a, you know, just a, a nice little uh, you know, praise fest here. This would have been an all-out jubilant rejoicing time. This, this would have been a, a, a very loud ruckus of, of worship that would have ta- that takes place here and that, that does take place here. It's, a, it's, it's, it's singing out in grateful adoration and triumph over what God has done. 
Um, actually, I would even say, go so far as to say that it is, a, it is a, a, not a sigh of relief, but, but a, 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 an act of rejoicing, the fact that after this long delay that Christ has, has placed before his first and second coming, but that now Christ has, has shown forth their faith as, and, and, and vindicated their faith, but even more than vindicating their faith, vindicating himself as the rightful ruler of heaven and earth itself. And the fact that Christ has finally brought this to come to pass, that Christ has finally shown forth himself as being the rightful ruler and the one to whom all the nations themselves should bow. And so what, what about their praise then? Well, we pick up in verse 17, we pick up their praise. And, and it's an interesting praise that they, um, that they, that they are engaged in. One, we are told in verse 17, let's just read verse 17. I think you'll see what I'm, what I'm saying. In verse 17, it says, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and which were and which are to come, because you have taken to you your great power and have reigned. So, did you notice the three titles that the 24 elders are using? Well, they use three titles here. First, they call, um, the, they call him the Lord. And then they call him God, and we'll come back and we'll pick up what each one of these means. And then they call him the Almighty One. Do you know what each one of these have in common? They're all Old Testament references to the name of God, to different names of God. Um, they, they would have, this would have been, um, the Lord would have been a direct reference to Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, God would have been uh, to uh, Elohim, the Creator. Uh, and the Almighty One to El Shaddai, um, the, the, the mighty God. And so each one of these have different meanings. Uh, the Lord, meaning that He is, the, he is the, the, the self-existent one, and as a result, the rightful ruler and master of, of all of the, the nations. God, as the creator and maker of all, and the one who is deserving of worship. And the Almighty One, again, the omnipotent, the, 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 the one who is all-powerful and who is able to execute his will. And so, so each one of these has a different meaning to them and behind them. They're not using these, or they are using these, these names of God specifically to communicate something about who God is. They want us to understand that their worship is meaningful because it's about they're worshiping the God of heaven and they want all the nations to understand in their worship the one that they are worshiping. The one they are worshiping, the great I am, the Elohim, the creator, the almighty one, the El Shaddai of all the earth. And then it goes on and it gets even more interesting because not only do they use a threefold title in their worship, but then they begin doing something a little different. They begin describing something, don't they? Because they say, they, they say that he, he who is and was and is to come, right? Do you notice this? They use this, this phrase, and it's a direct linkage back to Jesus as the great I am. Because in, in calling him, in using this title, they are, are, they are ushering back to God's work and God's revelation in the burning bush where, Jesus, where God says to Moses, I am that I am. In other words, I am and I am always the one who will be. And so they are, in fact, linking Jesus as the fulfillment of the God who revealed himself to Moses. 
And they are saying, this is the one that we are worshiping. This is a way of speaking of Jesus' eternality and linking him back to the Father, back to linking him. And again, we have the Trinity in, 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 in point here, at, at point. Jesus being linked with the other members of the Trinity in his work, in his being. And then we go on and we talk about the, they begin to talk about their power, the power of God, who, who he is. Not only that he is, not only is he the, the, the Lord, uh, the Lord God Almighty, not only that he is and was and is to come, uh, the, right, the eternal one, but also that he is the one who, who alone has great power. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean by that. Do you notice the two statements that are here made by the 24 elders, right? They say that by your great power, you rule. That's what they say. By your great power, you rule. Well, let's take one of these, one of these. So he says, by your great power, by thy power, right? So what? Well, in other words, he alone, going back to again, going back to the names that they, they have here, the, the, the great I am, the, the one who is and was and is to come, as well as the Lord God Almighty, right? By this, by this you have taken of your power, the one who is rightfully Great, one who is rightfully all-powerful. You are the one who was revealed as El Shaddai in the Old Testament. You, you, you reign. You reign now and you reign forever. But he says not only that, that by thy power do, does he reign, but he also goes on, he says that he reigns how? He reigns when? He says, he says uh, you have taken uh, of your great power and have reigned. In other words, you, and, and that reign will never stop. That reign will never be relinquished. His rule will never stop. His rule will never come to any type of an end. And he will always and forever reign. And then he goes on from there and he talks about uh, the, the elders there. They, they begin to talk about this last woe that's coming to pass. Now this woe is quite different than the other two woes. The other two woes unleashed great, um, massive destruction upon the earth. And this woe is different because in this woe, the king of heaven will now judge the affairs of men. It's a different type of a woe. Because instead of, of, of disasters, natural disasters and supernatural disasters being sent on the world... This last woe is for the nations. This last woe is for the nations. And who Jesus promises will be judged. And they praise him for that, though. Uh, it's, in our day and age, I mean, think about this. In our day and age, it's not nice to sing a song of God's victory over his enemies, right? right? If, you, if you sing most psalms, people are like, well, that's just not very nice of you. But... That's because they don't rightly understand. They, people don't rightly understand the nations are in rebellion against God. I hear people all the time, and maybe you do too, well, you know, God, you know, if, if God was really loving, like, you know, um, you know he, wouldn't, he wouldn't judge people, or he wouldn't send people to hell, or whatever the case may be. But in reality, that's because they don't understand that God is the rightful ruler of the world and we as humanity and in creation are in complete and utter rebellion. Grace 
is that anybody gets to go to heaven. Grace is that God, out of the sea of rebels, would choose and elect people for himself, for his own glory. This is grace. Justice would be for God to say, you know what, you all rebelled. See you later. You can all spend an eternity in the fires of hell. That would be justice. But God gives grace. And people who don't understand hell, people who don't understand judgment, people who don't understand righteous judgment, the righteous judgment of God, they don't understand that no one is good and we are all in our carnal states, apart from Christ, in rebellion to God and deserving of his righteous wrath. And that's what the nations are. They are in rebellion and they are, this is what they say in verse um, in verse 18, and the nations were angry. They were angry. They did not want the king of heaven and earth to rule them. They did not want this. They said no. And yet the Lord, while the nations were overcome with anger, right? In the end, God will make every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, right? That every knee will one day bow. In Psalm 2, the promise is that Christ is going to reign, that God is going to reign and his Christ will reign forever. Psalm 2, Joel 3, 9 through 13, Zechariah 14, 1 through 4. All of this will come to pass. And it's interesting because the nations get angry, but what do they get? They get God's anger. They get God's wrath. They get God's wrath. It says, because the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. It says, in other words, the nations were angry, and they tried to burst out of your rule, God, but guess what? They couldn't, and now your wrath has come upon them. They did their best to, 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 to reject you. They did their best to, to <clears throat> reject your rule. They did, your best to, they did their best to, to forsake your law. But God, in the end, you are now pouring out your wrath against sin and against rebels. And then it goes on, doesn't it, in verse 18. And it says, And the time of the dead that they should be judged... And that you should give reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them which fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And so the nations are judged. The nations suffer destruction because of this. Notice what the Lord says. The Lord says he is so powerful that not even the grave can cover the deeds of evil men in the Lord's sight. Nothing can cover men. Even, 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 they're, even when they're dead, being dead does not cover them from the Lord's sight or the Lord's sovereign power or the Lord's righteous rule over them. And, and this, is, this, is the, this is the ultimate hope of a world that's torn by injustice, isn't it? That one day, all wrongs will be made right. All wrongs will be, will be made right. And that we will see justice reign. We will see justice reign. And as a result, the nations will suffer. Now, I want you to notice one other thing with me here before we move on. 
to the, to the blessings of the saints. But notice what it says here. And all the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time of the dead, they should be judged. You should give reward to your servants, the prophets. Okay, so let me just stop right there. This praise from, um, from Revelation is actually patterned after a passage, another passage of Scripture. Um, that passage of Scripture is actually found in the book of Jeremiah. And so in Jeremiah chapter 28, um, you will find something almost or something very similar um, in Jeremiah 28. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 28, um, let's see. Oh. Well, I said 28, but that's wrong. Well, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong, I gave myself the wrong reference here. But it is pattern, and I will get it right. I, if, if, you, if you want to give me a day or two, I will get this right. But it is patterned after, after Jeremiah, and a, after a speech that Jeremiah gives, where he, 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 is, he is pronouncing judgment upon the nations. And this is, in fact, the final cleanup from, 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 that is promised, even in Daniel 11.45. And it's to take where Jesus the Messiah takes and rids the world of all evil. And he over his elect people will, will instead of judging them, will instead pronounce grace and victory. Because notice what this passage does. There's contrast set up here. The contrast between the 24 elders and the worship of heaven as well as the nations but also the response of the nations and the response of the saints, the elect of God. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, notice here that in this psalm that the, that the, that the, that the 24 elders are, are singing along with all of heaven, the psalm contrasts the dead idols and their inability with Christ and his ability to rule and reign. The dead idols are nothing but dead idols. They can affect no change in this world. But Christ and Christ alone does. And there is a, a fivefold reference here. I don't know if you picked this up, but there's a fivefold reference here to the elect of God, the saints of God. Notice, notice with what they are. It's not, 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 maybe not quite as clear as it is here um, because it seems, to, it seems that they didn't separate it out here in the, in the King James for us um, quite as, as, as separate as, as it could have been, but it's still there. And so it says that you should give reward to your servants, and there should be a comma after that. And then so the servants, your servants is one, the prophets is two, the saints is three, those who fear your name, and the small and the great. Those are the five, con- the five parts of what God gives us here. Your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, and those who are small and great. All of this is reference to, to how God makes up the church, how God makes up the, the elect of God throughout the ages. And it's a reminder that God is the God of covenants, that he makes a covenant with his people, and we say, well, how do, you, how do you see that from our text? Well, if you go to verse 19, I think you see it clearly, because in chapter, in chapter 11, verse 19, it says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. What possible purpose could John have, or Jesus have, in inspiring John to tell us that after, in the midst of all of this, he then sees the temple of God opened in heaven, and the ark of the covenant being there in the temple? 
Well, what is the possible purpose? Well, I submit to you that it's threefold. First, as I said, it is a reminder that God is the God who creates and keeps his covenant promises. That Christ is the fulfillment of everything promised in the old covenant. That Christ is everything, is the fulfillment of every, every promise given to us in the Old Testament. I think also that when, when we see this, that, that Jesus is, the, is, the, is the, uh, the covenant keeper of Abraham, of, of Moses, of David. And I think second of all then, that, there is a, that God will once and for all dwell with his people. That there is a promise that, that there is, uh, the temple here um, represents the fact that Christ himself, who is the, the ark of the testament in the New Testament, the, the greater ark, he is going to dwell with us. He is going to be the one who is with us. And that through the pure ministry of the word, thirdly, the pure ministry of the word and faithful administration of the ordinances, that the mysteries of the gospel into which the angels themselves desire to look will one day be clearly revealed to not only all Christians, but even to the angels themselves. It's a lot in those four little verses, isn't it? But it's a wonderful truth given to us by God that that God is going to dwell with us and God will dwell by great power so how do I close this out well I think there's a couple of ways we can we can close this out I think the first is to simply remind ourselves of the good news of Christ that Christ is the the promise of God fulfilled and kept for us. We don't need to look for another. There is no other. He alone is the fulfillment of all the promises. And that the Lord Jesus Christ, as a result, is in control. One day, justice will, in fact, be dispensed, and it will be dispensed correctly. And the righteous, the righteous will be rewarded for their faithfulness because they look to Christ and they look to the Father. For so many, I think the future is a scary and uncertain time. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't some scary and uncertain things going on in our world and perhaps uh, very soon will happen in our world, in our nation as well. But at the same time, our, 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 our view is not, is not the things that are happening. Our view is upon the one to whom is in control of all things. Our view is, is on Christ. Our view is, is, is upon, and our gaze is upon Christ. Our gaze is upon the one who is worthy of our praise. The one who, is, who holds our future in his hands. The one to whom nothing, the, the one to whom not only holds us in, our, in his hands, but nothing can touch my life unless it goes through his hands. But it's also there, I think, a, a, a warning there's, there's a warning and also an encouragement. A warning, of course, is to the unbeliever that they have no future unless, apart from God's wrath unless they repent and believe the gospel. That's the warning. The warning is unless you repent and believe the gospel, this, because you're a rebel, rebelling against the rightful king of heaven, will be found and judged in your sin. 
But the encouragement then is to look to Christ. That for all who look to Christ, we can have complete confidence in Christ. And we don't have to worry about about our, our, our lives or what we'll wear, right? Remember what Jesus said? Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear, right? Uh, that, 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 uh, Jesus clo- that God clothes the sparrows. And nothing, not even the sparrows die without God's, uh, God's knowing it and in being in control of it. And not one hair of our head falls to the ground apart from, apart from God's gracious work. Listen, I know it's, it's popular to say, oh, you know, he died so young. And, and, and uh, I understand the sentiment there, but in reality, God was in control and is in control of everything at all times. Uh, it doesn't maybe make us feel any better or, or hurt less, but the reality is, is that even our days are numbered by God in His grace. And we are in His hands. And nothing touches us or our families unless God allows it. And I would say to you that, I would say to us that we as God's people must, must rest in our confidence in Christ, that he is in control, that he is the one who, who will always be in control, that there's nothing, nothing that's ever going to take our God by surprise. There's nothing that will ever surprise our God. There's nothing that will ever, that will ever shock God. There's nothing that, that, will ever, um, that will ever catch God off guard. And brothers and sisters, as a result, you and I need to have complete and utter confidence in Christ, looking to him, looking to him. Yes, obviously exercising wisdom, right? Um, as we navigate days and, and months and years ahead of us, however long that may be, using great wisdom in that, but at the same time trusting and resting in Christ, and not ourselves or not others, but resting and trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Let us find our encouragement in that. Let us look to Christ, knowing that there is a day in which he will judge the living and the dead. For the glory of the Father, let us pray. Father, uh, we now thank you for our time. Thank you that in, the, in just these four small verses, there is so much here. There is so much here. And thank you that you've given us just a, just a little bit of time to be able to, to gather, to look through Scripture and to, to gain wisdom from the Word. So help us to look to you who is and who was and who is to come. You who, by your power, take and reign and rule for eternity. You who are the Lord, the God, the Almighty. And God, you who are ever in control, let us look to you. Let us look to you in the days of fear, in the days of desperation, in the days of great angst, in the days of of great, even great trembling and great um, sorrow over, as we see, um, the nations around us continue to seek to flex their muscles against the God of heaven, knowing that there is no one who can break your bonds. And so, God, may our confidence be in Christ. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name.